Hey, Claire. Hi, Zoe. Good morning. Happy birthday. Thank you very Happy much. Happy birthday. How exciting. Yes. I'm quite ancient, now 38, wow. but that's okay. <laughs> and you look amazing. And thank you. you look amazing considering your age, which isn't old at all. But when we talk about intersexual competition between females, age does matter, doesn't it? Yeah. So at the age of 38, um, I am starting to... Well, in this day and age, because of technology, it's mm. much easier to preserve one's looks. However, in the past, 38 would be considered quite old. I would be, if I was to be pregnant now, I'd be, I'd have a geriatric pregnancy. Thankfully, I had my children a while ago, so that's not an issue. But yeah, you do, we do, the, one of the issues for women is that we do uh, age and we lose what we would call a, a valuable resource mm. in the sexual marketplace. And you mentioned that term, intersexual female competition. It's an interesting thing to discuss um, because women compete with each other in interesting and often covert ways, and we don't really talk about it very much in mainstream society. It sort we of should. Goes on, flies under the radar. We mm -hmm. sort of pretend that women don't compete with each other, uh, but we are competing with each other all the time. Yep. And it's sort of interesting how we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I think we should talk about it because a lot of the feelings that it generates, you know, it might be jealousy or anger or sadness or insecurity. Um, we feel those all the time and we don't realize why. Yeah. And I think the, the moment I started, um, I realized that it was just a lot of it was to do with, um, competition, intersexual competition and that I had very little control yeah. over it. Yeah. It made me feel so much better. Yeah. I mean, you, you touch upon something that's actually quite profound mm -hmm. and that is, uh, beauty privilege mm -hmm. or attractiveness privilege. And I would argue that it's much uh, like a far greater privilege to be born attractive than it is to ha to be born even well. Like for, if you're a woman, it's probably greater privilege to be born with the genes that allow you mm -hmm. to develop an attractive phenotype than mm -hmm. it is to be born wealthy. For sure, yeah. Um, it's up there with intelligence as mm -hmm. being like one of the the biggest privileges that you can you can potentially be given or just be born with because these traits that we're talking about are heritable mm -hmm. I mean if you have attractive parents you're likely to mm -hmm. be an attractive child uh, and it and we know that attractive people are given all sorts of opportunities in life whether it's job interviews job opportunities being treated more positively by the opposite sex even by mm -hmm. the same sex like there are all sorts of doors that open for people because of their attractiveness and yet we focus on these other of other privileges such as skin color which may also be privileges but potentially not not as quite not quite as profound mm -hmm. as beauty and it's interesting how the the I, what i would say the two most profound gifts that you can be given and are completely out of your control of beauty and intelligence. It's interesting how we don't really talk about them. Yeah, it's a taboo to talk about uh, beauty privilege, mm. I think, especially for women, perhaps, because for women, it's even more of a 
superpower, I would say. I mean, you know, physically attractive men, they also have have a bit of a superpower, but it's not as powerful as female yeah. physical and, beauty. And, and you can be born into poverty as a man. Mm-hmm. And if you have enough grit and determination and uh, savvy, mm-hmm. you can become wealthy. Mm-hmm. You cannot be necessarily be born heinous and make yourself beautiful. I mean, maybe maybe with technology that can happen mm-hmm. now, but uh, I would say it's a less easy path. Yeah. And so it's tragic. Mm. It's, it's really quite tragic. Uh, and so that's potentially one reason why we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so a lot of guys who are sort of into the red pill manosphere scene, mm. um, they – they not all the time but sometimes they have this resentment towards beautiful women mm. because they believe that um one women haven't those b- women haven't earned their beauty yeah um and that it's easier to make yourself more beautiful it's easier to do that than for a man to make himself either richer or more successful yeah well i would say it's the opposite mm. i would say it's easier to easier to make money than mm-hmm. it is to change your facial structure mm-hmm. um which takes a lot of money too yeah mm-hmm. and i i think i i yeah I, I don't know about those i think that they have some issue with women wearing makeup mm-hmm. or something and it's exactly like, enhancing yeah but often mm-hmm. often the people who uh, criticize women for flaunting their looks are the women exactly yeah so that's something I wanted to talk about today because um, over the weekend or the past week there's been a lot of discourse um, <laughs> a, a writer Megan Murphy um, posted something on her sub stack um, unfortunately I couldn't read the whole thing because it was paywalled but she was um, I guess kind enough or generous enough to um, talk a lot about it on Twitter. And um, her point pretty much is that um, women who thirst trap, which is... Posting sexy photos. Posting sexy photos, which we both have some experience with. (laughs) um, That thirst trapping is, I think she described it as embarrassing um, and shows that a woman lacks confidence. Mm -hmm. And probably the easiest way for a woman to get attention and therefore that's a bad thing because it's like a cheap way of getting attention. Right. Um, so, yeah, I got involved in and a bit of that And you disagree discourse. with that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I've changed my mind a lot on, mm-hmm. on this topic. I sort mm-hmm. of ever since I was, I guess, a teenager, you know, ca- mm-hmm. coming into my um, sexuality and starting to um, understand the power of yeah. my sexuality um, or womanhood, yeah. I've always found it um, there's been a tension. Right. Um, and I remember crying to my dad about this um, at around the age of like 15 or 14. I've got this superpower and I don't know how to use it. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Like, Dad, like, I I feel I'm, I'm celebrated because of the way I look. Mm. Um so I'm encouraged to flaunt that, but at yeah. the same time, there's this um, shame and yeah, slut shaming essentially. Mm. And I was slut shamed a lot as a as a teenager. And was it um, from boys or girls? Um, mostly girls. Yeah. 
Um, boys too during high school. Um, but that slut shaming from boys pretty much stopped at age like, yeah, like when I got into uni. You could argue that I still see a bit of it online. Yeah, for sure, from yeah. adult men. Yeah. Um, but the day to day slut shaming, which is um more covert. Mm. I receive a lot more from women yeah. and I'm sure yeah. you have some experience with that as well. Yeah. Um, last, I did post a, a photo of myself in a bikini when I was in Hawaii, not mm-hmm. Christmas just been, but the Christmas before. So it was a little while ago. And uh, I mean, the response was overwhelmingly positive. <laughs> uh, but No surprises there. I do, I do remember one Quillette writer, actually, a female writer saying... Um, you know, this reflects poorly on the publication. How interesting. And uh, it was really trying to shame me. And I did feel ashamed when I read the comment and I, mm. like, I actually did think, oh, sh- geez, I should not have posted this photo. Mm-hmm. Women shaming other women is, I, I would argue, quite effective. Yep, it works. And when women tell you that... Um, you know, it's beneath you mm-hmm. or you somehow denigrating your intellect by flaunting your body. It does it does sting. I do move on from those comments mm-hmm. pretty quickly though, mm-hmm. because as you would know, when you get older and when you're my age in your late thirties, having a, a physique that you want to show off uh, is quite deliberate. Like you do have to work for it. It's not an mm-hmm. accident that you get a a nice uh, figure. Mm-hmm. So I mean this idea that it's easy to be fit or to have a, a physique that you want to show off is not it's just false uh, yeah. it might be the case when you're 18 it's mm-hmm. like pretty easy to have a svelte figure mm-hmm. when you're 18 but not when you're 38 and probably not even when you're 20 yeah exactly um, and so the point is that you're not just showing off your physique uh, for sexual reasons you're showing off the hard work that you've put into mm-hmm. your body exactly and people who do um, spend, you know, a, ch- a significant chunk of their time mm-hmm. going to the gym mm-hmm. or eating, working out or eating mm-hmm. well. I mean, they have every right to um, display what they've mm. put work mm-hmm. into, just as the man who is working 60 or 80 hour weeks in the finance industry has every right to buy a Lamborghini yep. to flaunt his wealth. I mean, it's just mm. a different, if you're focusing on your health mm-hmm. and fitness, it, you're, focus, you're, you're trading off time that you could be spending doing other things. Yep. And uh, it, there's, you know, you, you're just displaying that. So true. I mean, I've been dancing since I was a kid and obviously dancing was just um, fun for me. But as I got older, you know, I quit um, competitive ballet when I was like 17 or 16 and I replaced it with a gym. And yeah, I spend, there was an hour, um, a time, especially during COVID where I was spending like an hour a day, five or six days a week yeah. in the gym. Yeah. And yes, I love it. Obviously, it's really good for my mental health and I love the feeling of being strong. But yeah. yeah, of course, I know that it improves my status. Let's be clinical about it. Like <laughs> it makes my value yeah. heightened. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's not it's not just mate value. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I'm an employer mm-hmm. and uh, you know, if if someone's uh, applying for a job um and they they have fitness as a as a hobby or an mm-hmm. interest. I mean, that's a sign of conscientiousness. Mm-hmm. It's a sign of discipline. Um, it's a it's a good signal 
of the type of personality trait that you want mm. when you are an employer. So, I mean, I like just beauty is one thing, but um, it's a, it's also a reflection of character, I would say. Definitely. So when women shame yeah. other women for their yeah. sexy photos or the way they flaunt their, their body, mm. what they're really doing, wouldn't you say, is that they're, they're cutting down, they're aiming to cut down um, that woman's status to, to equal it a little bit more with her yeah. so that there's yeah. not such a discrepancy, right? Well, I mean, I don't know the answer, but there are different theories. And there's a really interesting theory that was put forward by Roy Baumeister and Kathleen Vose. They published a paper back in 2004 called Sexual Economic Sex as Female Resource for Social Exchange in Heterosexual Interactions. Their thesis was that imagine the sex the sexual world as a marketplace. Men are the buyers and women are the sellers. Um, That's triggered most people, <laughs> just that alone. It's a theory. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, they're not saying that this is the iron law of the universe. It's a theory. And um, so women are the sellers, men are the buyers. And in any marketplace, if you flood the market with a particular product, it reduces the price. So like if I'm a cocaine dealer and some new dealer comes in and floods Sydney mm-hmm. with Coke, it reduces the price and maybe I can only get, you know, I can only sell my wares for 20 bucks a pop mm-hmm. when I used to be able to sell it for $200. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much it sells mm-hmm. for, but you get what I mean. <laughs> yeah. When you flood the market, each individual seller can only can't command a high price. And so the theory of um, sexual economics is that If sex is a resource, a female resource, women who uh, give away sex too easily or too quickly reduce the price for all women Mm. because they flood the marketplace. And so the idea that there is a theory that it's women engage in slut shaming because they want to raise the price Mm -hmm. for all women. They want men to respect women and enter into long-term relationships. They want men to respect women for their intellectual achievements and so on and so forth. And so they see women flaunting their bodies and, you know, giving away sex or whatever as harming women by uh, reducing the price. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like I think that's pretty plausible sounding theory, mm-hmm. um, and it also explains why women do a lot of do a lot of sh- slut shaming. Not just in our culture, but if in more traditional cultures, you often find it's the the mothers or the grandmothers mm-hmm. who police the behaviour of younger women. Definitely, I think in African cultures, it was the women, the grandmothers, mm-hmm. who. Um, We'd get the younger girls in for the female genital mutilation, um, which Mm -hmm. is horrible when Mm -hmm. you think about it. But this idea that women don't police each other Mm. is just wrong. Mm -hmm. We clearly do. Definitely. And and we do it in interesting and in fascinating ways Mm -hmm. that aren't always um, easily explainable without some theory behind it. Yeah. And I think men often just don't even perceive these interactions 
um, because women's communication is um, so covert and uh, a lot of it is just done through, you know, a look or a tone of voice or a small behaviour or action. Mm. Um, and for men it's just... Um, yeah, yeah, well, they, we, we know in children that uh, competition between boys is quite physical. Mm-hmm. So bullying is often physical bullying and boys will you know, on the football field, they'll punch each other Mm -hmm. and whatever. When girls are engaging in bullying, they do it through covert Mm -hmm. methods. So they will free, if there's a girl they don't like, they will freeze her Mm -hmm. out of the group. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure that's happened to you. It certainly happened to me. (laughs) I've perpetrated it and received it. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Um, So yeah, it's that freezing out the Mm -hmm. cold shoulder, Mm -hmm. uh, pretending that girl isn't really there Mm -hmm. she's like right there Mm -hmm. ignoring them uh that's how girls bully Mm -hmm. and you're right it can fly under the radar because it's covert Mm -hmm. in its very nature Mm -hmm. Mm. and I think as adults um it might be yeah not explicit slut shaming not saying oh look at what Claire's wearing today she's such a slut but <laughs> saying oh you know have you noticed Claire wears you know short skirt or oh that's a very revealing top Claire you yeah. know mm. and they they sort of spread um oh, well, Claire yeah. was talking very you yeah. know very closely with that man at the water cooler blah, blah, blah. sabotaging mm, another reputation reputation mm. I've done that in my past. Yeah, I have to admit it. I did sabotage. We all have. Yeah, I did sabotage someone's reputation. Mm-hmm. It was bad. I felt guilty about mm-hmm. it. It's just, yeah, it happens. As like a young adult or older adult? Would have been in my 20s. Yeah. yeah. Do you think once you got married and had kids, your behaviour changed regarding? Yeah, there, mm-hmm. there's, yeah, there, so... There's less at stake. I'm mm-hmm. not in competition anymore. Yeah. So I don't have to compete. Mm-hmm. Um, not in direct competition mm-hmm. anyway. And, um, yeah, there's just, there's, you know, I'm not in environments where there's intense. Mm-hmm. When when I did uh, sabotage someone's reputation, I didn't sabotage it. Mm-hmm. They actually were engaging in deceptive conduct mm-hmm. and I just told someone. That's mm-hmm. all I did. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But... Yeah, there was competition and we were all single and we were all competing over like the most eligible bachelors mm-hmm. in the particular town that I was in. And yeah, so there was it was high stakes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And um, I think, you know, we were talking about this before. Let's just be honest that every action, every word we say, everything we post online is for we want some we want to signal something or we want to achieve something whether it's posting a bikini shot or posting a link to an essay you've written yeah. you're still signaling something about yourself so why is the signaling that you're physically attractive yeah why does that reflect more poorly on you than reflecting yeah. that you're intelligent which yeah. is heritable as well yeah well, everything everything that we broadcast is being broadcast for a reason, mm-hmm. and usually it's to attract resources or mates. And so, uh, you're absolutely right. If I write an op-ed and I broadcast it online, I'm generally doing that to attract uh, attention. And you know, I 
As I mentioned before, intelligence is another privilege that we don't necessarily have any control over. I mean, I might have some control over my education, but I certainly did not uh, tell my parents to give me a particular IQ before I was mm-hmm. born. Mm. And so when when we um, judge people for uh, broadcasting things that, you know, when we, when we judge people for broadcasting things that are not necessarily intellectual, we're sort of being smug and snobbish when people who are intelligent or intellectual and can broadcast things like um, essays they've written or films they've made or songs they've composed. Well, I mean, you've got those talents, but not everybody has those talents. Mm. And maybe people with a beautiful physique or who are good at boxing or who are good at sport, maybe mm-hmm. they have a right to mm-hmm. broadcast what they're good exactly. at too. Yeah, or good yeah. at bikini yoga. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I think, you know, just the judgment is a little bit, like I do think it's a bit snobbish. Yeah. And, um, you know, everyone has something, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you're not beautiful, maybe have a wicked sense of humour. Yeah. I'm not going to hold that mm-hmm. against you for mm-hmm. broadcasting mm-hmm. that. Yeah. We've got to just flaunt what we've been given. Exactly. Really. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, life is unfair. Human nature is cruel. And some people are born with more um, traits that are, you know, that are socially desirable than others. Yeah. Um, And that really hurts some people, including me. You know, it's (laughs) it's painful. I wish I was better at lots of things. And even if you're, you know, attractive, um, you know, you always wish you were more attractive or, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like people who are wealthy always wish they were more wealthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there, it's just part of human nature to strive mm-hmm. and it's our instinct to be competitive. Mm-hmm. I think one thing, important thing to remember is the limits of competition. Mm. So uh, we can get carried away with competition. You can see it on Instagram mm-hmm. with women or girls um, overdoing the facial filler mm-hmm. because they're in competition mm-hmm. and they start to look like cartoon faces, yeah. right? Bigger is better. Mm-hmm. Um, you And you have these sort of hyper-real, hyper-normal faces where mm-hmm. um, the traits that are attractive, so like large lips and full cheeks, mm-hmm. uh, have been enhanced through injections mm-hmm but to the point where they no longer look normal. Mm-hmm. And that that is now an aesthetic that is uh, sought out. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, in evolutionary terms, that's called um, a runaway effect, Fisherian runaway effect. So you get in species like uh, the peacock, where you get sexual selection for certain traits, one uh, sex can just like get carried away mm. <laughs> and develop these extreme traits like the peacock's tail mm-hmm. um, and you, it happens in all sorts of different species. But you can get, so men and women in their competition within their own sex can get carried away yeah. and be so uh, obsessed with competition with each other that they sort of even forget what's attractive to the opposite sex. So Mm. there's been a lot of girls who are getting all of the work done on their Mm -hmm. faces who have forgotten that actually this is not maybe not attractive to men, but because they want to compete with the other influencer or the other girl with the Mm -hmm. huge lips, they want to outdo her. And so it's important 
I think to remember that we all have competitive natures, sometimes we can get carried away with mm-hmm. that co- that instinct for competition. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to remember what we're competing mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. Um, which is for women resources, I suppose. Well, I mean, status. It, well, it, it, I think what we compete compete for is a personal choice mm-hmm. ultimately I mean we are hardwired to compete for mates and resources mm-hmm. just to survive mm-hmm. and to pass on our genes but we can decide not to compete for those things mm-hmm. if we don't want to mm-hmm. I mean once we get married we don't have to compete for mates anymore and we can choose to compete well I compete for resources mm-hmm. <laughs> but we can and but you can compete for the resources that you want mm-hmm. so it might be that you want to compete for more free time mm-hmm. Or you might want to compete for wealth mm-hmm. or you might want to compete for, you know, status just among your local mm-hmm. peers, your mm-hmm. local, your individual friendship mm-hmm. group. I mean, we can choose mm-hmm. what we want to mm-hmm. focus on and compete for. And we don't just have to let our monkey brains take over. Exactly. We can inhibit our instincts. Yeah. And even once you're you're in a relationship, you still need to maintain the happiness you need your the attraction um, from your partner. So for yeah. men, that might be like I'm pretty sure a big predictor for divorces. Um, once the woman starts out earning the man, or perhaps the man has a big knock to his status from losing his job or something like that, that really shakes up a dynamic. Mm. Um, I know that weight loss as well for both partners um, can really shake up a relationship. Um, in my experience, just from um, what I've seen, if a man um, marries a woman or gets with a woman when she's a bit bigger, um, that obviously affects her status. And then she loses all this weight, gets really into CrossFit, goes yeah. on a diet and becomes him. more attractive. Mm. From what I've seen, I can think of it um, happening in about two relationships. Um, it's not necessarily that she dumps him. But there's a tension. He probably starts to get a bit more um, concerned yeah. about maybe he gets a bit more controlling. Yeah. Um, he's not used to her mate value being so high. Yeah. And she gets she starts to get a bit pissed with that, and mm. then can really it's probably also a predictor of domestic violence. Actually, mm. when there's so most relationships do well when uh, each person has basically equivalent mate value. So mm-hmm. six pairs with a six, seven pairs mm-hmm. with a seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, these numbers are mm-hmm. obviously crude and mm-hmm. there's all sorts of factors yeah. that go into yeah. mate value. And it's exactly. also like highly subjective. I mean, mm-hmm. I might be uh, v- very low in mate value to mm-hmm. s- someone who mm-hmm. wants a particular type of mm-hmm. woman but a very high mm-hmm. to someone else. I mm-hmm. mean, we understand mm-hmm. all of that. But generally speaking, in general, mm-hmm. in general, uh, it, you know, you want like, you want to be fairly matched yep. up. And and you would think that if a woman gains mate value by losing a lot of weight, that's a threat to the male because it's the threat to the stability of the relationship and that would probably predict domestic violence. might also happen the other way around as well. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, what else did I want to talk about? There was something else here. Oh, how I wanted to talk about how um, women objectify themselves Mm. Mm. um, because that was a thread throughout this sort of um, 
women thirst trapping in that, mm. you know, showing a lack of confidence or respect mm. in themselves. Um, another argument is that women just have more of an exhibitionist side to them. Yep. They, they sort of want to be objectified and yep. that men want to objectify. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it, and it's got to be a lot of variation. I mm-hmm. mean, some women are going to be more exhibitionist than others. and But I do think it's really interesting how the, ma- the male gaze mm. is considered to be this oppressive product of the patriarchy mm-hmm. when, as you and I both know, the male, the male gaze is often a power used by women mm-hmm. to exploit men mm-hmm. and to oppress men. Mm-hmm. The oppression goes the other way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not women who are spending hours every day watching pornography mm-hmm. and spending, you know, billions of dollars on OnlyFans. Mm-hmm. The money flows in the other direction. It's going to the women. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, who's oppressing whom? Mm. Great point. Yeah. Um, and what about the the desire or the sort of positive yeah, side of so women as I, a woman being objectified? I've reflected... At uh, moments mm-hmm. when feeling uh, <laughs> the most desirable, that mm-hmm. the idea that you are objectified is actually quite pleasurable. Mm-hmm. And I've thought that this, the idea of being objectified, is part of my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I've wondered if that might be generalizable to other women. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know that there are conditions like autogynephilia where men dress up as women and enjoy mm-hmm. the idea of being women. So mm-hmm. why, cannot, why can't women dress up as women and enjoy mm-hmm. being women? Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's, like it's part of your sexual uh, mm. experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have. It's crossed my mind lately that um, recently that um, female sexuality is a bit autogynephilic. Yeah. Um, yeah. In that you want to be pursued, you know, you want to be objectified to some extent. Um, Obviously, yeah, like there's so much context. Um, Boundaries can be easily crossed when someone objectifies you who you don't want to, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mm. But, yeah, it's it's very interesting. But Um, it does does run against the mainstream view, which is that women hate being objectified. Exactly. And it's the worst thing in the world. And, uh, you know, we we all want to be the sexless creatures, Mm -hmm. um, completely devoid of any kind of – it's just not true. Yeah, it's not true (laughs) at all. And if you just see the way that most of these – the women who believe that Mm – if you just see the way that they present themselves to the world, you can see that that's not really true because they'll still um, make themselves look physically attractive. You know, they'll wear. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think there's a lot of self-deception going mm. on. Uh, I don't think, you know, I think women who are looking after their appearance and then who are complaining about the male gaze are not necessarily lying, Mm -hmm. but they might just be deceiving themselves Mm -hmm. as to what's going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think as humans, we're we're remarkably good at lying to ourselves. Mm. And, uh, you know, we, like, I I don't know if women do it more than men, but I think we're we're very good at at 
deceiving ourselves like what is the real motivation of our behavior mm-hmm. i mean men who are slaving away at the bank working mm-hmm. 80 hours a week i mean who knows what stories they tell themselves yeah. as to why they're actually mm-hmm. doing it when uh, if you really want to dig deep down into mm-hmm. it it's they're com- they're competing for resources mm-hmm. and mates i mean yeah and it'd be great if we could be more upfront with our if people knew themselves better or knew the science better um because you know it makes me think about topics we've talked about in previous discussions about you know sexual assault and how women um how we can sort of protect ourselves in the world and take um instead of seeing ourselves as victims take ownership of how we move through the world yeah um i've talked about it before but you know, when I wear a short skirt and a low-cut top, um, I know what I'm doing. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, yes, it might be hot, yeah, you know, but I know I I wear I walk out the door knowing that that will attract attention. Yeah. yeah. And you know, while I'm comfortable doing that in Bondi, I wouldn't do it on the Paris Metro. I yeah. wouldn't do it in Morocco. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So we. Yeah. 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 Being- well, the way I, I, view, I view it is that knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. And uh, with human behavior, having more knowledge about human behavior gives us more power. Mm-hmm. And so that when I was in my 20s, I spent a lot of time reading uh, theories of human behavior. And there are mm-hmm. competing theories. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, feminist theories of human behavior are in tension with evolutionary psychology theories. Um and I'm not going to advocate that uh, we we just rely on one theory at the exclusion of all others. Usually our uh, knowledge is enhanced if we read different competing mm-hmm. theories. And so I think women in general have been let down by the lack of educa- by a lack of education about human behavior and that in Particularly when, particularly just understanding some basics of evolutionary psychology mm-hmm. helps us guide our own behavior towards uh, goals that suit us, mm. you know, over the long term. So there's just there's just so many um, positive benefits we can get from reading theories, from reading studies, from reading literature. But unfortunately, that's not really the norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of people are just informed by. Um, what they read in magazines or what they see on TV, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily on Instagram, not necessarily an empirical, mm-hmm. analytical view mm-hmm. of how the world world works, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, and it's a shame that instead of learning, um, you know, about neutrally learning about the the science of it, um, that that's been replaced with a political ideology. Um, or various ideologies, whether it's super conservative and like yeah. women should never show their body because yeah. this, that, that, or the the whole world is seen through it's a patriarchy yeah. Yeah. and any man who you know comes up to you of says you're attractive that's you know something shameful. Yeah, people have a hard time whether they're left or right wing. People have a hard time separating sex out from morality, mm. and to have a rational view of these issues, it's actually quite uh, important to be able to decouple uh, what is 
So what is actually happening in the real world from what ought, so Mm -hmm. from what ought to be. So if you study a topic like sexual assault, uh, uh, if you're a good scientist, you want to just study what actually happens without um, flying into hysterics or flying into outrage Mm -hmm. just from looking at the data. You have to be able to decouple uh, observations of the empirical world from your own moral feelings mm-hmm. um, and you see it both among conservatives and also among progressives mm-hmm. that they're just incapable mm-hmm. of separating out human behavior yeah. particularly around sex from their moral feelings yeah. about it so they're just not able to see from an objective point of view mm-hmm. behavior that might have some rational basis like if women are posting sexy selfies, maybe that has some rational basis mm-hmm. if they're if women are competing for resources in mm-hmm. a highly economically unequal mm-hmm. environment, right? Mm-hmm. That might make sense for them. But conservatives will just be triggered mm-hmm. by the, the reality of female sexuality mm-hmm. and condemn it. Mm-hmm. And similarly, feminists will do something similar, exactly. right? Exactly. So that you get this horseshoe effect mm-hmm. where the more political you are, the more you moralize about mm-hmm. these issues and the more your view of reality is sort of clouded by your feelings. Yeah. And, I mean, we do see similar things happen. Like I think people get very worked up about food as well, which is another (laughs) basic need. You know, food becomes very political, veganism, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, And other, you know, basic human needs do – Is sleep political? uh, Pardon? (laughs) Is sleep political? Yeah, Yeah, true. Sleep's not one. But – Food can be, but it's sex. It's so – it just really gets to people. And as you as you were saying, it's so difficult to uncouple. Um, and I just wonder if it is perhaps the most, like, powerful yeah. urge inside yeah. us. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it, so much of our sexual behaviour is biologically mm-hmm. uh, driven – it's also shaped by culture. So mm. it's one of these really interesting uh, nature-nurture sort of intersections where, like, obviously our urges to have sex are biologically mm-hmm. based, but the way we express um, our sexual behaviour is very culturally mm-hmm. mediated. Mm-hmm. So, And I think, you know, the, the fight between conservatives and progressives is, like, how we express that behaviour, mm. how we channel it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's a, there are some valid arguments for uh, restrictions on hypersexual behavior mm-hmm. because, you know, when children get involved, you want to have stable um, mm-hmm. environments for children to be raised in. Mm-hmm. So you don't want people just going out and having orgies left, right mm-hmm. and center. You do actually want to control things mm-hmm. and uh, have stable family structures. So I do actually think the conservatives mm-hmm. have a valid, yeah. valid point yeah. around all sure. of that. At the same time, um, you know, I I'm a woman, and I don't like. You can get they can go way too far when it comes Definitely. to policing women's sexuality mm-hmm. for sure. And yeah, despite my own personal beliefs in the way I live my life, I find um, Mary Harrington really interesting. For example, um, I don't agree with everything she says, but I find her work really interesting. Um, And just the fact that, you know, religions throughout, you know, the whole of human existence, religions have put restrictions on sex. Yeah. And I think that says something about just how powerful it is. Definitely. 
And there have always been restrictions on female sexuality and and someone like Louise Perry would say that that's often for women's own benefit and I would say that she's probably right there. And I wouldn't go so far as saying that the sexual revolution was a mistake, Mm -hmm. but certainly I think that... uh, there, there are women ha- can be affected by norms and um, sort of trends that aren't necessarily healthy. And uh, what I advocate for is just knowledge. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not exactly. like the theories are there, mm-hmm. whether it's a theory of sexual economics or uh, you know evolutionary psychology, uh, psychology theories around mating. They, uh, you know, they explain a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if there was more widespread mainstream understanding of these theories, I think that people would be able to make choices that are more in line with their long-term goals. I agree. Hmm. Yep. Okay, I think on that note, it's, we'll wrap it up. Yeah. <laughs> Until, Good to chat. Yeah, great and, chat today. Uh, don't stop posting those sexy selfies. No, you too. <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye-bye.